0: We're going, to, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14 today. We're going to work our way through that uh, great story in this text uh, today. With some, I think, about four, four key points I want you to take with you. Uh, but I think we're going to do October five aspects of the Holy Spirit that we've learned from one of our professors in the classes that Jason have been taking. Uh, he was sharing with us uh, some notes for class the, last day of the night. Ghost. You well, uh, know I, I can see the pun on my is, but, uh, but it'll be good. It'll be good. Um, and there are actually uh, some really great points in there. Uh, we just had the, the five topics we got to come up with. The rest wasn't precious enough to get a certain outlines to go along with the idea. So, uh, we'll still have to do the work. I'm looking forward to that. Because really, that ties in so well with. Was a result of the extra measure of the Holy Spirit given to man after Christ ascended back into heaven, because He said, "Now we talked about that actually in one of our classes. Jason and I were in class yesterday morning and Friday night, we're talking about uh, church history and Old Testament. And there's this idea sometimes, if we're not careful, that we kind of have three segments of the revelation of God. We have God of the Old." Testament, then we have Jesus arriving in the New Testament, and then after Jesus ascends, we have the Holy Spirit, as if they were not all three persons of the Godhead present at all times. uh, And in fact, there was a a heresy that's kind of raising its head again in modern evangelical Christian thought uh, about uh, this idea that, that because the Bible says that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, that somehow when the incarnation happened, when he was uh, in Mary's womb, was the first time that Jesus existed, huh. and that he is then eternally subject to the Father, and then the Holy Spirit follows behind that because the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. But it doesn't take much effort, and I'm shocked actually. That this idea is really starting to gain some traction uh, in some pretty what we would consider to be orthodox. Christian uh, education and thought, because this heresy was dismissed very early. Uh, The idea of the Trinity, which that phrase, of course, is not found in the Bible, but it came uh, to be in the early centuries of the church as a way to describe, at least to try and put into some sort of, of manageable brain thought about the greatness of God and these three persons who eternally coexist, eternally been, and yet are somehow distinct in their persons, and yet one in their essence, that's what Trinity tries to capture, and it's a big concept that does not fit inside our human brains, but we do our best, but that heresy has been rejected time and time and time again, but it continues to make its way back around, but it doesn't take much effort, and this is why it surprises me, to go back into the Old Testament, and find there, already existent. Uh, the, the first uh, chapter of the Gospel of John addresses this quite clearly, right? That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then that word, that God became flesh. Jesus was there in the beginning. And then when we look through so many of the Old Testament texts, especially the Psalms, is a great place to go, and you see them the writer's describing, the Spirit of God. Even Again, even in the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. So God's Spirit, Jesus, God the Father, have been, and that's kind of the statement, have been. They are. And so while we see this kind of special dispensation of the power of the Holy Spirit in, Testament. It is not as if the Holy Spirit has suddenly just arrived. It's kind of like the same idea of it's, it's not as if grace, salvation by faith, just arrived with Jesus. It, it has never been salvation by works, even from the beginning. We know this is true because the book of Hebrews tells us that all of the things that uh, all of those heroes of the faith did that we see listed in chapter 12 of Hebrews 11 and 12 That their faith in God was counted to them as righteousness. Not the works they did, but their faith in God. Their works, just as our works should, came from a place of their faith. It was a response to God, not an appeal to God. And that's the difference. But we saw at the beginning of the the book of Acts, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, I'm going to leave you now, but I'm not going to leave you alone going to give to you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will now dwell within you and guide you and help you. And so, we see this in today's text, in the way in which our two main characters go about living their lives and professing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and some pretty Difficult circumstances, I'll just put it that way, and then we're going to read about it and how that looks, what that sounds like, and something that we don't experience really here in America, in the West, anywhere that's westernized and, and has a, a background in Christianity, even uh, nations that have been uh, Christian nations but are now what we would call post-Christian. I think Sean and I were just talking here in a text here a few days ago about uh, some religion and Christianity in America. And friends, America is quickly moving into a post-Christian nation. We're, we're just not that, that ecosystem that was there at the beginning of the founding of this country. It's why it's so critical that we remain faithful to our faith, that we remain faithful to God, because Christianity, the church, We, as the church, are meant to be the salt and light of righteousness within a world that is is hardwired towards that which is unrighteous. And so, you know, gathering together for worship, that's important. Teaching our children, that's important. Uh, Sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors, those who are still walking in darkness, is important. Sharing the gospel with one another to reinforce and encourage our faith, that's important. And it's becoming a Difficult in a post Christian culture to convince people that that's important. So, you hang on to me. I'm going to change the setting here. I'm going to grab the nuts. <clears throat> Alright. Be in good shape. So, let's go to Acts chapter 14. And we find here two characters, Paul and Barnabas. Now, uh, we talked a few weeks ago, there's uh, Paul and Barnabas and Peter and some other folks that were involved uh, in the early days of the foundation of the New Testament church. They had kind of these launching places that they went from. One of them is mentioned in this text, a place called Derbe, which today is in modern Turkey. <clears throat> Paul, who was the Jew of Jews, educated beyond our even our conception, we can't really understand just how knowledgeable Paul was about the Jewish faith, Jewish laws, Jewish rituals, and yet God taps him on the shoulder to be the one to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter, who is your average everyday fisherman, also educated, but not like Paul, he was educated as a Jewish man growing up in a was a young boy going to uh, the school and going to the temple and being educated in the scriptures, but he wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a religious leader. He was apt to go and take the message to the Jews. And here we have Paul, who is going around leading all of these missionary adventures around the region, from Turkey, across the waters of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, There's a bunch of islands there where he makes stops and all the way over into Syria, the modern-day Syria. He just makes these loops back and forth, back and forth, and he's on one of those missions here. So we find him at a place called Iconium, 14, verse 1. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So you see, there's both, those who are of the Jewish faith and those who are Gentiles, are somehow coming to the synagogue we can only surmise, because we looked at chapter 13 last week, when they did the same thing in another city, they were proclaiming the gospel. The religious leaders rejected them, but the Gentiles of the city clamored to come and hear the message. In fact, one of the, the things that was in last week's text was they, they had gone to the synagogue, they had proclaimed the gospel, it's sort of been received by the Jews. The religious leaders got angry, and then the next week the entire town showed up to hear the good news. So we see this pattern being repeated here. They make their entrance into the synagogue, the Jewish place of worship and teaching, but the Gentiles begin to come and are hungry for the gospel message. So, uh, Jews and Greeks were beginning to believe, but the unbelieving Jews, meaning they didn't believe in Jesus, Stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So there's two things that came out of this first part of the text. One is how do we pattern ourselves after the early New Testament church, the early apostles? We share the gospel with everyone. We don't keep it to ourselves. We don't just keep it within the confines of this place of worship. We don't keep it within the confines of our small groups or even the confines of our family. We share it with, with Jew and Gentile both. We share it both with the believers and unbelievers. We're out there sharing it. And then the second is, sometimes it takes a long time. It says they were there for a long time. We don't know how long that period is. Um, there's no specific. Been there. It could have been, does that mean they were there for a week? They were here for a year? We don't know. But it says they were there for a long time on their mission. And that's going kind to of come back around at the end of this passage this morning. And I'll make that, that point a little bit finer. But they stayed there for a long time doing what? Speaking boldly for the Lord. Now, don't mistake boldly for uh, necessarily being brash or bullying or over the top, it just means that they were not ashamed to speak about the work of Jesus in their lives and uh, the work that they had seen with their own eyes or heard from other friends who were their contemporaries of Jesus and had witnessed what he had done and were sharing their stories. Many of those which would become the stories in the text of of the New Testament, right? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those same stories. They're hanging out with all of those guys. So they're boldly sharing that. Uh, and and the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by right the So, as they're sharing this good news and the story of Jesus, God is coming alongside them and is being miraculous within their midst as a way to prove and underscore the truth of the Now, there are many who, who think, believe that um, miracles don't happen today. Um, I don't think it's helped. That attitude is helped by charlatans uh, who fool people with old tricks. as many fingers as I have on one hand of times that I, uh, myself and Karen, have been in an environment uh, where uh, uh, we've had events here at the church where we have specifically gathered together and prayed for someone. Uh, one of them is sitting in this room, Mr. Nate, prayed and in that moment physical miracle were captured and caged by addictions and and things that were destroying their lives who came to Christ and they were freed from those in ways that the world could not offer. There are circumstances this church has faced um, whatever whatever you want to call it, socially, culturally, economically, where uh, we scratched our heads and said, we don't know what tomorrow even looks like. And yet, God was with us, and as we continue to proclaim the gospel, he cared for us. Friends, those are miracles yeah. at the hand of God. Uh, Nate uh, lay in the hospital bed after his motorcycle crash, and when I came in, the doctors had just said, he's probably not going to make it. That was the conversation I walked into. And we stood at his bedside and prayed, and I don't remember how many hours later it was that you were awake and talking wasn't many. That's a miracle, and God did that. I didn't do that. God did that. So, do we still have the same witness today? We we can. We do, if we'll recognize them. We don't get any description about what the signs and wonders were in this place. We get a little bit of a story uh, here in a bit of one of those. But remember, they shared the gospel with everyone. They weren't ashamed of the gospel. But God came alongside them as they shared the gospel to demonstrate that he was true. But, verse 4, the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jewish leaders, the Jews, and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lycovia, and to the surrounding country. And there, they continued to preach the gospel. So, you know, they weren't, they weren't looking to get beat up. When they heard the plan, they, they boot it out of the, the city. But as they went, everywhere along the way, they still continued to preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus. So then at Lystra, here we go, signs and Wonders. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use the tripled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. Now, this is similar to a story that we have with Jesus, and I don't want you to miss this this detail, it's a big detail. He's never walked in his whole life. Get up and walk. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lytonia, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And then things get crazy because people start bringing sacrifices and they start calling Barnabas Zeus. And they start calling Paul This freaks Paul and Barnabas out because this is not what they were after. They don't want the accolades to themselves, they don't want to be elevated as gods, and that's literally what these people are doing. They're saying, these are the gods come in the flesh. Does that sound familiar, right? This is the story of Jesus, God come in the flesh. So they're almost getting it right, but they're ascribing it to the wrong God. And they actually begin to bring it. When Paul and Barnabas hear that they're they're out to do this. They're like building altars and they're getting ready to set up like temples and like install these guys on their thrones and worship them. Paul and Barnabas are grief-stricken this. It says that they tore their clothes, which was like the ultimate Jewish symbol this cloak. Oh, get are dead, to me This is it, right here. They tear their clothes because they know, especially the, the Jewish people that are around and those who know the customs will know this means that, they, in, that Paul and Barnabas are they're really upset about this. And they say to them, don't do this. We are not here on behalf of those gods and that's not who we are. In verse 15, they say this, Acts 14, 15, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. When he says living God, he's speaking specifically about Jesus, because remember, they've already given the testimony. If they're they're giving the gospel, if they're telling the good news, what they're telling is the, the arrival of Christ, who he is, the life of Christ, what he did, The death of Christ, why he did that, and his resurrection to prove that he was everything that he said he was. So they've told that story. So when they say a living God, they're addressing Jesus, who what? Made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. Or he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. But even with these words, trying to redirect them to the person of Jesus, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. Alright, so remember, they shared the gospel with everyone, they shared it boldly, they weren't ashamed of it, um, they, they shared it persistently, remember, they were there for time. And we find here that another component of sharing the gospel is they took no glory for themselves. Anytime someone wanted to give them credit for what God was doing, they were very quick and very uh, aggressive, if you will, to reckon that back to the source, back to God. So, remember, as we're talking about, this is a pattern for us as we find opportunities to share the how do we do that? What does our circumstance look like? We can look at this pattern and see the same thing of how we can approach and interact with people around us and share it with us. We, we share it with everyone. Uh, this is a theme at Jan's uh, service yesterday that I loved so much It just kept coming from different people. was this lesson that Jan taught so many people, to love everyone. Love everyone, and especially love people who are hard to love, because they need it the most. Wow. That's wrapped up in this thing right here, sharing the gospel with everyone. I think uh, the the, uh, uh, magic duo. Person after one of his shows had given him a Bible and knowing that he's a a staunch atheist. But in the cover of that Bible, he had written a very personal note of of witness, sharing the gospel, saying, You know, we don't know each other, but I've I've seen you do your thing for so long and I love your attitude and you seem like a great person. And I just wanted to share this with you because I think the story of Jesus is the most important thing I could possibly tell you. And I'm called he's like, I'm just astonished by this. He says, in all the years that I've been doing this show, I've had lots of Christians kind of challenge me about my atheism, but this is the first time someone came and handed me a Bible with a message like this in it. And he said, I don't believe any of it. But it was meaningful because I just got to think, how much of a jerk do you have to be to believe that you have the truth that everyone needs to rescue them, not only in this. share it, we share it boldly, Uh, we do it persistently, we don't take credit for the work of God, we give all the glory to him. And then we find uh, that they are barely able to stop these people from from giving sacrifices to them. And then verse 19, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the rest. So they come to where Paul and Barnabas are, because there's such a disruption having persuaded the crowds, does this sound familiar as well? Remember when Jesus was on trial before Pilate? Just a handful of days earlier, the people of the city had had thrown their garments and palm leaves down in the dirt of the city of Jerusalem while Jesus rode in Uh, a king sitting on the the highest. And a handful of days later, political operatives, religious operatives get among the crowd before Pilate begin to sow seeds of dissension and turn that rabble into a riot that calls for the death of the same man they had just celebrated when it came into the city. And here we have people responding to the gospel. They're, they're clamoring to it. They're hearing, they're seeing the work of God. They don't yet know exactly what it means and they're trying to help them with their theology about Jesus but it's exciting and then the religious leaders and the political leaders come in I can make so many analogies right now but I'm not going to but I'm you're smart figure out and having persuaded the crowds they stoned some modern stories, like fictional stories, that uh, have been made in the film. I think probably the one that I'm thinking of. I Oh, uh, well, I'm not going to be able to get that right. But a city that chooses a person every year, a we'll town that chooses a person every year who has to be stolen to death. Uh, it's one of those books that gets made uh, by people. Uh, and most depictions of that will show. But I want you to have a mental picture of this. The intent of stolen. So it's no wonder that they stoned him and they thought him to be dead. We don't know for sure if he was dead, but there's something interesting that happens here. Dead or not, they stoned him enough with large stones with the intent to kill him that they were done. Their rage was satisfied. The bloodline. To Derby, back to their own base, got on a boat, went back home. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith, and saying that through many tribulations they must enter the kingdom of God. That final. Pointing towards God comes here, which is that as you share the good news, there will be people who will want to throw stones at you. They might hurt you, they might wound you. Is there any greater message? hungry for purpose So will you
1: mm mm-hmm. Thank sure. you. Yes. It's Let the Lord just to keep you find the space